Welcome to Mad Lit Musings, a podcast with Jamie Jo Wright, where we go deeper and ask the tough and dangerous questions. Hello, everyone. It is Jamie Jill Wright here with Mad Lit Musings. And today I have with me a recurring guest visitor. And I'm so happy to have you with us. Please welcome, with the round of silent applause that we can't hear, Kim Vogel Sawyer to the podcast. Hi, Kim. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me back. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're coming back because you have a new book out called The Tapestry of Grace. That is correct. That's so exciting. And this one is published from Waterbrook Multnomah. Um, comes out April 18th. So we're right on the cusp of its release. That's Yeah. The, tomorrow. the excitement is tomorrow. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> now, you before we went on the podcast, you did mention um, that there was something special about this book that has to do with the six and the zero. Tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> This is project number 60 in publishing. Wow. Yeah, I, it just blows my mind. I don't, it's like they multiplied like bunnies when I wasn't even looking. But yeah, yeah. it's, I never, I was an imaginative child, but I would never have imagined 60 books yeah. on the library shelf. I wanted one and I have 60. <laughs> I mean, That's so just, awesome. That's a huge I mean, achievement. Congratulations. That really is a huge you. achievement. That's awesome. And one of the things I was w- wondering with those 60 books, were they all historically based or did you do some other genres too? Well, the pre- predominantly I write historical fiction, but right. I have done some women's fiction. Okay. I've also done some old order Mennonite themed women's okay. fiction. I have a young adult series out and then I did um, one nonfiction devotional. Okay. Okay. Um, but if you added them all up and made a stack, the historical stack would be a lot higher. Than a lot the higher. Yeah. Awesome. It's really my, probably my deepest love. <laughs> and you're so good at it too. So, well, we are going to talk about the Tapestry of Grace today. And before we get started, let me just give our listeners a little background as to what the book is about. And I might mispronounce this one word. I was practicing before we went on, but it's a doozy. Because there's some German in, in here, and I'm thinking you and I are going to be talking about that a little bit. So, all right, here I go. When a group of Kansas women start a Rauvenverein. <laughs> there you go. I tried. I tried to do the rolling of the R's, and I just, you know, got partway through that first syllable and was like, nope, this isn't working. All right. When a group of Kansas women start a Frauenverein which is a benevolent society devoted to aiding widows and orphans. Life changes for more than just the hurting people they seek to help in this heartwarming romance inspired by historical events from the best-selling author of Freedom's Song, which is you. All right, with classes paused for the planting season, Alexander Toll's school teacher, Augusta Dick is glad for some meaningful work to occupy her time. She does. She even knows exactly who their town's benevolent society should help first. Quiet, reserved widower Conrad Rempel and his young twin sons. Conrad Rempel, however, is adamant that he doesn't want help. His boys are mischievous but good-hearted. And though Conrad may be struggling, he doesn't want anyone else sticking their nose in and telling him what his sons need. 
or what he needs. For her part, the charity's founder, Martina Kron, is relieved to have a reason to spend time outside her unhappy home. It even occurs to her that she may, through her work, encounter a boy in need of a family and so find a son for her husband since they have no children of their own. Augusta, Conrad, and Martina each have deep needs and desires and each imagines how they should be met, by reaching out or by being left alone. But God indeed knows best. Will the competing agendas of Alexander Toll's residents prevent them from receiving God's help? Or will the members of this small Mennonite community find the answers to their prayers in the very last place they expect in one another? Wow, that sounds like fun and a good story. So tell us what your thoughts were going into writing this story. What inspired you about this book? Well, it was kind of funny because I was actually researching for a different novel. And I was, you know how you go on bunny trails? When mm-hmm. you're I was just looking for the title of a German newspaper to use in another book. And I came upon one that had the Frohenbrunn listed. And I read the article about it. And that intrigued me that um, in it started in New York City with German, reaching out to German immigrants, new German okay. immigrants. And particularly women and children who lost a spouse or parents en route um, to America. Mm-hmm. Okay. Over time, that concept just spread across America and German communities. And so it, I just thought, man, it would be really fun plop one of those in Kansas and see what those women could get up to. Mm-hmm. Because I could just imagine, you know, we always have these best of intentions but sometimes they don't go the way we think they're going to. Right. Or I could see, you know, the potential for a little bit of humor mm-hmm. and I could see the potential for some, some heart touching moments. And the story just grew out of a newspaper article that I came upon quite by accident. <laughs> oh, I love those. Those are some of the best when you discover those old stories and you're like, what? And you learn about these new things you didn't know existed. And yeah. it just takes you down a whole, a whole new avenue. That's super exciting. Um, Okay, so the other thing that I caught in the back cover copy here that we were reading was it's a Mennonite community, correct? Mm -hmm. It is. Okay, all right. And that is my background. Um, Okay. Quite a number of my stories, you will encounter Mennonite characters, both contemporary and historical, because Mm -hmm. that's my heritage. Okay. And, you know, it's a strong heritage of faith. So a Mm -hmm. faith message always works in really well in the story. So it's it's a good place to start for Christian Yeah, that's awesome. A Mennonite is different than Amish. I know some people have told me that they're the same thing, but I usually argue that, correct? <laughs> no, they're not the same thing. They actually started out and as part of the same group, mm-hmm. but they, there was a split because um, two leaders were arguing about the works and grace. Okay. Um, one leader, which became the Amish church, felt that you, you have to work for your salvation. There's certain rules you need to follow. And the Mennonite leader, Menno Simon, um, said, no, it's grace. It's grace. We mm-hmm. do good works in appreciation for the salvation we receive, but mm-hmm. we don't have to earn it. Jesus did that for us. So that's where the split began. Okay. And there are some Amish groups who are saved by salvation. Mm-hmm. There are some Mennonite groups that are still really caught up in the works. But for the most part, that's the main difference between the two okay all right. our salvation all right that sounds that's that's a good clarification yeah. for people who yeah. hear 
Yeah. <laughs> um, because I've heard them inter, you know, interchanged and then at times being very, very different. And so I just thought I'd give you an opportunity to, to share with us here because this does not come across as an Amish book at all. So being Mennonite makes a lot of sense in everything that you're saying. So that's exciting. Um, and this is very German in nature. So tell us a little bit about that. Well, my, my, both sets of my um, parents, I'm sorry, I'm a little sleep deprived. Both (laughs) sets of my ancestors, both paternal and maternal, originally started in Germany, made their way from Germany to Russia, which will be the case for the people in this book, then came to America from there. Um, There were some promises made by Russian leaders about being able to practice their religion freely, they were really suffered some pretty severe persecution in Germany because they be- didn't believe in baby baptism. They thought mm-hmm. you needed to be old enough to make that choice yourself. That did not set well with the church there. Mm-hmm. So they were up under a lot of persecution, made their way to Russia where they were told, hey, you can practice your religion however you want to, just grow your wheat. We like your wheat. Uh, <laughs> And then after a hundred years there, new leadership began interfering again and the persecution began again. Okay. And so in the late, um, in the early 1870s, quite a number of Russian Mennonites left Russia. They okay. were called Russian Mennonites because they lived in Russia, mm-hmm. came to the United States. And they, my mother's parents settled in Mountain Lake, Minnesota. My dad's family came to Kansas, very, very near where I have set Alexander Tall. The cities that are referenced in here, in fact, um, Durham, where they go and have some lunch Mm -hmm. at one time, that is where my my dad's first home was. was Oh, neat. My grandfather had the cafe there. So there's Uh a little bit of, you know, there's always a little bit of Cam in every book. Yeah. Deep to find it, but it's in there. <laughs> I like that though. And that, that family legacy that can seep into fiction is always, is always fun when you've got those little nods to your own personal history. <laughs> well, and it makes it feel more real to me. Also. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. Okay. So tell us a little bit about Augusta Dick and she's a school teacher and she's in the Alexander Toll and she looks like she's wanting to get involved with a widower who apparently in her mind needs a lot of help. <laughs> Well, um, Augusta and Conrad's wife were best friends. Mm. Um, Augusta's husband died in a hunting accident. Conrad's wife died in childbirth. They used to be couple friends until, you know, the spouses Mm -hmm. died. And they really haven't been friends since then. But she has a relationship with the the boys because she's their school teacher, the twins, Fulker and Valden, who are a hoot. If you do not fall in love with Fulker and Valden, I have definitely done something wrong. (laughs) Oh, I just I just love those little boys. And Augusta loves those loves those little boys, partly because they're her students, but partly because they're her friends. Mm -hmm. It's Mm -hmm. a part of her that's left over and, and she was dear. So, you know, she has a personal connection, wants to see the best for these boys. Um, but she kind of goes about it the wrong way, <laughs> as you will discover when you read the book. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's awful. Awesome. parent wants to be told, you're doing it wrong, buddy. You yeah. Know, no, mm. 
No, most parents don't like hearing that. And um, I'm assuming a widower who's German and stubborn, if he's anything like my grandfather, um, really would not want to. (laughs) When you're German, it's in the gene pool. You're you're just not wrong. A stubborn cup, as my mother would have put it. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that. Okay, so how old are the twin boys in this book then? They are eight. Well, fun. That is a rambunctious age. It is a fun, it's a fun age. And then it's kind of balanced with Augusta's daughter, Juliana, who is mm-hmm. 11 and growing okay. into being a, a, a young lady. Mm-hmm. And I loved, I think probably my favorite relationship in the whole thing is the relationship between Augusta and Juliana. Mm-hmm. It's just such a sweet mom-daughter relationship. And mm-hmm. um, it was fun to bring that to life. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. And then Martina. Now, how does Martina fit into the story? Martina, you know how every town has a bossy lady that's yes. just of everything? Absolutely. That's Martina. Okay. Uh, Mar- Martina has taken it upon herself to be the leader of the community in part so that she doesn't have to be at home very much. It's kind of a painful situation for mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. And in part, she doesn't have children to chase. She has free time that other women don't. Okay. So she comes across in the beginning, and I've had um, pre-readers say, I just didn't like Martina at all in the beginning. But by the end, they understood her and Mm -hmm. they rooted for her. And Mm -hmm. that's exactly what I wanted is sometimes we do look at the surface of people and we presume they're one way when really it's a cover up for a lot of hurt that's underneath the surface. Oh, and I think sure. it's good for us sometimes to see those crusty people and take the time to peel back the layers and really get to know who they are underneath. And mm-hmm. I think our opinions of them often change and we'll have sympathy for them rather than aggravation. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you're right. And, and so much of life, especially in those days, which is, this is in what, 1897, I think you had mentioned, um, life was so tragic so early and we all face tragedy it seems like through the death of of a spouse or parents or whatever um but for augusta and conrad to have already been widowed and you know a widower and and then martina to not have her own children um it's just that that hardship just seems compounded then by trying to eke out a living in 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 a land that was not always forgiving right yeah yeah, awesome. Okay, so this word that I can't pronounce, the Frauenverein. You're doing okay. It's Frauenverein. You're doing okay, though. Why is that so difficult for me? I'm not sure. So many syllables. There are. It's not <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so tell us a little bit about that. You said you found out about it in a an old newspaper article. And it's a benevolent society. Now, was this something that was just done in one community in that newspaper article? Or is this something that's actually just a long forgotten society? The article was about it just in New York City. Um, There was a church, a German church that founded it because so many of the new immigrants that were coming off the boat were arriving without that husband mm-hmm. to take care of them without parents to take care of them there was a real need for reaching out but helping them find a home um, putting clothes on them mm-hmm. um, helping them find jobs it so it kind of grew from that and then the idea 
went beyond New York City, wherever there were German communities. And okay. it didn't have to be someone who just arrived in the town that had a need. They just began reaching out to the widowed and the orphan. And I find that very precious because you know there was a time that orphans were looked upon mm-hmm. negatively. And I mm-hmm. think that's so sad. There are, I have a real heart, I think, for the orphan. Both of my parents were half orphans. Um, mm. my, there were people that just thought my dad was going to be an absolute mess because he didn't have a mother. Mm. Uh, it, and then my step-grandmother was an orphan. And I she was actually rode an orphan train to oh, Kansas wow. as a six-year-old and was mm. taken by a Kansas farm family. But I did not know until after her death that that was her beginning because she was mm. so ashamed of not having her own parents. There was such a stigma wow. to be an orphan. And that breaks my heart. Yeah. Um, there's something just totally outside of your control. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I probably, orphans find their way into my stories. Yeah. I think because, you know, I just have that little part in my heart that just aches for mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I just love that idea, though, of reaching out to the orphans. Right, right. And was that society then, it was primarily women, correct, mm-hmm. who did that? Yes, this was a women's club. Okay. Uh, they would sometimes ask men to help a bit mm-hmm. because there were certain things that needed to be done that maybe they couldn't do. Right. But they were the organizers. They were the ones that discovered who needed the help and found a way to give yeah. them what they needed. That's neat. I just had fun taking a little humorous twist on it and maybe giving people what they didn't always want. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I could see, you know, this this um little benevolent society being a problem for a widower like Conrad who's like, I'm I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm <laughs> and he really wasn't. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suppose you can't tell us too much about that because then those will yeah. spoil all the little fun scenes. Spoilers, but yeah. Oh, fun. Now the town um, of Alexander Tall, is that a real town? It was a real town along the Malachna River in Kansas. And it was not uncommon when the the immigrants came that they would name their community Mm -hmm. for their their former town. Okay. Um, Most of them are defunct now, but there was um, Noddenfeld, there was Alexander Thull. and let's see, I can't not Gnod now. Okay. Those were all Kansas towns that were also um, villages along the Malachna River in Russia. And they just that was where we lived. Okay. There we're gonna that's where we're going to live here. Maybe it was easy to remember. I don't know. <laughs> um, but it was it, it, it gave them a familiarity. It yeah. felt like they really were home. Right. I'm sure that was part of it. Those are three that right off the top of my head that I know about. But yeah, it wasn't uncommon to do okay. that. Okay, cool. I love it. That's great. Um, what else should we know about this book that I have not asked? I don't know. <laughs> How's that for an open-ended question on a podcast? Tell us about everything that we don't know that we should know that you haven't told us that we didn't know. <laughs> I don't remember what scripture I used to. I always have a scripture. Okay. Go with my my books. Let me see if I can find what I used for this one. I have one sitting in front of me. Um. Oh, yeah. I used Hebrews four, 
36, let us come, or 16, I think that's 16, got the wrong glasses on. Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I went with that because of all the prayers that, that mm -hmm. go up, um, the various mm -hmm. people that are needing something very specific. That's what they think it will solve their problems. And right. that's what they pray for. But I really could have also used the one about the, you know, man makes his plans, but the mm. Lord directs his steps because God answered all of their prayers, but he didn't necessarily answer them in the way they expected. Right. Right. And as we know, his ways are always better. Mm -hmm. So true. Ways. So it's kind of, I guess I could say it is a story of how God works in ways that are for our good mm -hmm. and glory beyond our expectation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that kind of wraps up into the title as well, the tapestry of grace. Mm -hmm. um, I remember my mom had hanging in her hallway, um, this beautiful tapestry that was from Thailand because she had lived in Thailand for a while and it was velvet and it had this you know, golden panther and tree and it had all the bright colors that you can imagine of the peacock colors. And, um, but when she would take it off the wall, she'd flip it over and it was just this massive th threads. It was just a tangle that was colorful. But other than that, it, the mess, <laughs> it was an absolute mess. And I remember her telling me one time, this is what your life often looks like to you. Mm -hmm. and then she'd flip the tapestry over and she'd say but this is what it looks like to god because he knows the final picture yes. and i've never forgotten that so i'm assuming that's a little bit about where you came with the title here very much so yeah i yeah. love that i love that all right so if readers want to find this book and they want to find out more about you where can they go to do that well, you're always welcome to visit my website, which is just myauthorname.com. So that's mm -hmm. pretty simple. I'm not terribly active on social media sites except Facebook, but I, I love chatting with, with readers and other writers at my Kim Bogle Sawyer author speaker page. So look me up on Facebook. I learned yesterday or the day before yesterday at a conference how to do reels. Hey. So I'm really excited about that. I did my first one this morning and... Good for you. <laughs> this old techie grandma, she's trying to get with the ball game here. So I'll be trying to do a few more of those. You can laugh at laugh at them if you want to. I'm learning. Well, you but... know what? That'll be fun because they're they'll be real. They'll be real, 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 reels. Oh, I love it. Well, Kim, thanks as always for being here. And I really appreciate your time and for those of you listening, the title of the book is The Tapestry of Grace. It's published by Waterbrook Multnomah. It releases tomorrow, April 18th, um, and you can find it at all of your favorite bookstore outlets and retailers online and locally. So, yes. Thank right. you so much. I enjoyed chatting with you. You're a joy. <laughs> so are you, Kim. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to Madlit Musings. You can find out more information about Madlit and all that it has to offer at madlitmentoring.com. That's madlitmentoring.com. Or check out more about Jamie Jo Wright at jamiewrightbooks.com. <laughs>